This is day 222 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing the book of Ephesians today, chapter 6, and then we will complete the entire book of Philippians, chapters 1 through 4. Lord Heavenly Father, as we enter into your presence this morning, please quiet our souls. Please give peace to our minds and focus to our hearts. We long to understand your word, Lord. Otherwise, we wouldn't have come here. For Lord, we know that in your words are life and wisdom. And we need all the wisdom and life we can get. This world is so dark and is so much against us and does not do anything that glorifies you. Lord, help us to be different. Help us to be salt and light like you've called us to be. We can shine in this world and give flavor to it, to preserve the righteousness that you've put into it. Please bless the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same thing to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness 
the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but also some from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life 
or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all speak after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him, then, in the joy of the Lord, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ 
and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urged Euodia and I urged Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, let's go through a few things that we've read today that are very good doctrine. In chapter 6, we have the completion of obedience in the family dynamic. First, we have husbands, how you interact with your wives, and wives, how you interact with your husbands. And now you have the dynamic of children with your parents. Now, obviously, obedience to parents is part of every child's obligation, uh, even if they're not saved, right? Even if their parents are not believers, because the main reason we do it is because God instructed us to do it. It says in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. And he mentions that this is the first commandment with a promise. And what was the promise? That if you do this, you will live long in the land. Now, this is not a guarantee that your children will live a long life just because they obey you, but chances are much higher. Then it mentions something that I had to kind of dial back on a bit. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, not that I mean to my kids or anything, but I don't assert dominance on them. I don't belittle them. I don't tease them excessively. Little things like that. We got to be careful how we talk to our kids because that could damage them. Then it talks about how a slave is supposed to interact with their masters, masters, how they interact with their slaves. 
In the sight of God, they're the same, but through human constructs, they are different. And then probably my most favorite part of this entire book is the armor of God. Now, this section is important to understand because it tells us how to combat evil, as well as who our enemy is. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, like it says here. Our enemies are not humans. Unbelievers are not our enemies. It is the demons behind the scenes that are the enemies. And so we should not be hating people for whatever reason. But we need to hate the systems of the world that have been set up by Satan and his minions. So how do we fight against these forces? In our own strength, we can't. That's why we rely on God's armor. Now, it mentions all the different pieces of it, but let me start by saying that this is something that you need to put on daily. If you don't put this on daily, you will be vulnerable. It mentions here in verse 13 that you need to take up the full armor of God, so you need to put on all the armor. Why would you go into battle without a sword? Or why would you risk getting shot with fiery arrows if you don't bring your shield? It mentioned in chapter 5 that the days are evil. And so we need to wear the armor every day because we're able to resist in the evil day, which is every day. And then we will stand firm, meaning that you will not compromise God's standards and your integrity because of sin. That's a tough one. We all do sometimes. But God tells us how to combat Satan in this way. So all of the pieces of the armor correspond to something in particular. And this could take hours to describe. But very briefly, you gird your loins with truth. If you want to call it a belt, that is appropriate. You would put truth on your waist. What is important about this? Well, for one, some people use belts to define who they are. And so in this case, we should be defined by being people who stand for truth. But not only that, but all the armor is held in place by truth, which is in the gospel. Then you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate being chest armor. And what does the breastplate protect you from? Getting hit in the chest, getting stabbed in the heart, being gutted. So having righteousness equipped onto us is going to protect our heart from being corrupted. It's going to protect us from wanting to seek the pleasures of this world that will lead us astray. Then it says that we were shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So it's a form of sandal or boots with open toes in the Roman world. So Paul describes shoes of the gospel of peace. And why is that important? Because we're supposed to take it places. It's supposed to move. We're supposed to walk in the gospel. So not only are we sharing the gospel through the walking, but also that's how we carry ourselves. We carry ourselves holding ourselves accountable to the gospel. Then we would take the shield of faith, which is used to extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan. So there will be those things that Satan will try to put in our path to cast doubt 
on your salvation, to cast doubt on the things of God, to try to dissuade us from doing godly things. And that faith that we have is going to keep us where we need to be. Then we would wear the helmet of salvation, protecting our minds from the lies of the world. And knowing that we are fully saved in Christ, we have nothing to worry about, and therefore we need to protect our minds from that corruption. We are called to a higher purpose now. And then we cut down the forces of evil with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible is our greatest weapon in our flesh, besides prayer, of course. So we need to make sure we are knowledgeable of the Word of God. We use it often, but we also are knowledgeable of the Word of God. That's why memorizing Scripture is important, at least knowing where to reference things. Even if you don't know the chapter and verse, if you know the Scripture accurately and can quote it, that is very powerful. But then it also talks about, once you wear the equipment, what activities are you doing? It says that you are praying and petitioning at all times. Pray without ceasing. So prayer should be said on all occasions, right? We should be praying when we need help. Pray when we enjoy something. Pray when we're in distress. Pray when we're joyful. Pray when we're tired. Pray when we're hungry. Pray when we're satisfied. Pray when we're happy. You name it. We're supposed to pray all the time. Now, it doesn't mean you get on your knees and you're on your knees all day long, but you can, in your mind, pray in the Spirit and just keep a constant dialogue with God. And that constant dialogue is going to increase your relationship with Him, and you're carrying Him with you in all your activities. And that's important. We don't want to just leave God to the sidelines until we're done with work. We clock in at the office, and we leave Jesus in the car. That's not what it says for us to do. He's supposed to go in with us and be with us in all our activities, great or small. I don't think anybody understood the power of prayer better than Paul, because he even asked for prayer for himself. And he wanted not only boldness, to be able to speak the gospel in truth, but also opportunities to share the gospel. And we should be praying for that very thing as well, because they're there. We just need to find them, and we need to use those opportunities. And then he closes like he would usually close, and that ends the book of Ephesians. Then we go into the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is only four chapters, but it is so full of stuff. It is amazing. So in chapter 1, the first half is where he's describing how happy he is over the Philippian people, that they are staying steadfast in the Word of God, and that he is also encouraging them. He is confident, like he says in verse 6, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is never done with you. You are never at the point where you can say, God has nothing else to teach me. And if he saved you and he has a purpose for you, he is going to fulfill that purpose in you. You need to be willing to do it and not be dragged along, but he does have a purpose for you, and he will take you there if you let him. 
And then he says in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. This is important for us today as well, because we need to be seeking real knowledge, not entertainment, not the knowledge of the world, not trying to find the next fun thing to do, the next comfort of life, but rather the real knowledge. And then we would have all discernment. We want to have all discernment to be able to test the spirits, to be able to tell if something is godly or not, to be able to be honest with ourselves and see if we've gone off track or anything. And then we can assess people's needs and introduce the gospel to them. That is what the discernment can do. The second half of Philippians chapter 1 is talking about Paul's personal circumstances in his imprisonment, as well as what he's been doing to share the gospel with people. And then he goes and shares his attitude towards things. And we know his attitude. And verse 21 encapsulates it very well. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, let's be clear about this. I feel the same way as Paul. If I had my way, I would love to just go straight to heaven. I'm not suicidal, trust me, but hear me out. Paul's in the same mindset. He knows that he's in a fallen world. He knows that he has to go through suffering and hardships and sorrows all the time. But yet he also understands what's coming in the future. He knows that we're going to go to heaven. And when we go to heaven, there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. All of those things will be gone. And yes, I share and agree in Paul's assessment of that. If I had the choice in not bring sorrow upon my family, I would be happy to go to heaven right now. I would be happy to shed this sinful body and to no longer have to struggle with it. And I would love to be in eternal peace and joy with the Lord. That should be all of our goals. And we know that's what's coming at the end. That is a guarantee. We know that is coming. And so we need to, while we still draw breath, do everything we can to further the kingdom of God. That is what we're here for. That's why we still exist. Because God has a purpose for us, in bringing the gospel to more people. Because we need more people to feel the way that we feel in that regard. To have that confidence in Christ, as well as to know who he is at all. And then, when our course is done, then we will be able to enjoy the things that we're looking forward to. In chapter 2, he begins with instructing the Philippians to act in a sense of humility to do all things for the common good of others and to put the needs of others above their own. Like he says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And what is that purpose? To further the gospel of Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than ourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. And that's the kind of attitude that Christ had, 
and he wants us to imitate that. And then he gives a very powerful example of how he humbled himself as a man. This is referred to elsewhere as being called the kenosis, the emptying of Jesus Christ. Now let's be clear. He did not sacrifice his deity. If he gave up any part of his deity, then he would not be God. He's still God. He allowed limits to be placed on him. He needed to eat. He needed to sleep. He grew tired. He had human emotions. These are limitations that he doesn't normally put on himself. And so whenever he came as a man, and showing that it is a more lowly form than what he originally was, he humbled himself before the Father and showed not only an attitude of obedience for our benefit, but also because he was lesser than his Father at the moment in some regards. So this is a beautiful example for how we are to be with each other, as well as how we are to regard our Lord. He continues this discussion throughout the rest of the chapter as well. But verse 14 stands out to me, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Complaining contributes nothing. All it just does is irritate the people around you and give yourself a feeling of hopelessness. But that is not the attitude we're supposed to have about anything. And that's what he talks about here in a bit. In chapter 3, he warns them to watch out for those that are out to get them. The people that are false prophets, that are the Jews, that are trying to boast about the circumcision being what makes you godly, which is boasting in the flesh. He doesn't want us to boast in the flesh. He wants us to boast in the Lord. And then he gives an example about himself. He's like, look, if there's anybody who can boast in their flesh, it should be me. You know, I was circumcised. I am an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. I obeyed the law perfectly. I was zealous as a Pharisee. I persecuted the church in the name of Judaism. I was righteous according to the law. So, of all people, I should be able to boast. But it doesn't mean anything. Because all those things are nothing. They are, like he says, they are rubbish compared to knowing Christ. None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff contributes to holiness. This arrogance and this boasting in the flesh is not godly. And so he shows us a better way, and that is to humble ourselves and put all of our trust and all of our glory into Christ. And leave the past behind. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ. The past will always be there to haunt us, but we need to move forward. Like he says here in verse 13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, I remember my former life. I remember and this is Paul speaking, the days that I was a Pharisee, the days that I persecuted the church of God, where I arrested Christians that I would call brothers and sisters today. 
all the time of my life that I feel I wasted. But you know what? I don't need to worry about that. God has given me that background, but he wants me to look forward and not just dwell and regret the past. Let's move forward to what is coming ahead, and we need to focus on that. Why? Like it says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong to this world anymore, so why do we need to worry about the things of this world? We need to focus on the things of God. That is our calling. And then he makes definitive statements in chapter 4 that many of us know by heart at this point. Rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. Even in the hard times. Even in the days you're sick. Even in the days where you're stressed out. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats himself. Again, I will say rejoice. The Bible repeats itself. It's worth noting. Be anxious for nothing. I don't care what you say. The Bible is very clear. Be anxious for nothing. Well, but women are different than men. But that's just my disposition. No. It says clearly that it is a sin to be anxious. Some people deal with it more frequently than others. Some people have a nature that is more anxious. Everyone has their weaknesses. But it says very clearly, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Jesus said it too. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow needs to worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble. If Jesus said it, then what Paul is saying is reinforcing the original statement of Jesus. We don't need to be worrying about stuff. It doesn't help you at all. Have faith in God and do your best. That's all you can do. If you do this in prayer, then you will have the peace of God, which is beyond understanding. The world will never have it, but we will. Then he tells us how to fill our head with good things. Focus on these things. If it's not on this list, don't focus on it, because it's not edifying to you. In the second half of chapter 4, he concludes it with explaining how to have peace in all circumstances. Verse 13 is so widely taken out of context so often. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. you got to understand the backdrop it's coming with. Being content with circumstances that you're in. Being able to deal with hardship, being able to deal with prosperity, but still, you are maintaining your integrity and you are not abandoning God in the process. Be content and at peace with whatever circumstances you're in. Sometimes life will be hard, but it's hard for a reason, and it's probably for developing you. God doesn't waste his time with you, and so we need to not resist his will. And with that, that concludes the book of Philippians, and tomorrow we will read the book of Colossians. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.